Welcome, everyone, to Asian Pacific Voices Radio, where you'll find stimulating conversations about diverse stories and topics affecting our Asian Pacific American communities. I'm Sasha Fu. This is the first episode of Season 4 for Asian Pacific Voices, and I want to wish everyone Happy New Year. Uh, happy happy new, new Year. Happy New Year. Happy Lunar New Year. This is the Year of the Dragon. Now, we're going to take a little departure from our usual format because usually it's one host interviewing one person, but today you can see there's three of us, three hosts. So we're going to sit down and just have an informal roundtable discussion about what we're anticipating for this new season of Asian Pacific Voices. I'm going to start off by giving a short introduction. I'm Sasha Fu. I'm an actor, playwright, and former broadcast news reporter and anchor. I was the first Asian American anchor at CNN. And this year, I'm looking forward to hearing more about what we're going to do about the immigration crisis at our border and also a little bit about the pushback against diversity and equity and inclusion programs. I don't know if, uh, well, we can get into that later. Rasha, why don't you go next? Thanks, Sasha. Again, like Sasha was mentioning, happy new year to everyone. Hopefully a lot of exciting things coming to fruition this year. I'm Rasha Goel. I am a television host, journalist, and producer, primarily specializing in the entertainment field. And it's been so exciting. I was one of the first, I was the first actually South Asian host to be cast by Dick Clark Productions for the live red carpet for Golden Globes. And, you know, I'm really excited one thing too, yes, I'm really interested in seeing what happens to a lot of the DEI programs, especially as we ended last year, how a lot of those programs were cut. But also when we speak of diversity in entertainment, um, I'd like to see more of how that's going to roll out and how we're really bringing stories into the mainstream. I don't want to be a box that's constantly checked off. And I feel like that still happens at a lot of the places and times like we are here integrated in community. So much has been happening with the Asian American community. I'd love to see how that develops a little bit more. And I'm going to throw it over to you, Joanne. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Rasha. Thanks, Sasha. Hey, everybody. My name is Joanne Whitlock. So I am an Air Force active duty officer currently stationed in Southern California. So I'm a logistics officer by trade and I've been in the military for about 11 years. So very, very very fortunate to be part of Asian Pacific Voices Radio. This is going to be my first season hosting. And so I feel extremely lucky to be in the company of these two amazing ladies. Um, I'm not really in the entertainment industry, as you know, so I am kind of the odd man out in this group. So my vision for this season and what I hope to bring in and what I hope to introduce to the season is um, introduce guests with backgrounds that we don't typically get into as much or get as much exposure on the show. You know, military, obviously, with my background, military, politics, state, federal government, personnel from those fields, particularly women in the leadership positions in those fields, especially with the current state of um, affairs in the world, election year. So I know a lot is happening and I'd love to see and talk to guests that represent us in those fields. So very, very excited about what the next season is going to bring. And thank you for your service, Joanne. I have to acknowledge that. It's so exciting. We're really happy to have you here because that's a a perspective we really need, especially women in leadership roles. I want to mention something uh, at the top of the news uh, broadcast, something about the podcast about immigration. And this was interesting to me. I've learned that, you know, people are wondering about who's showing up at our southern border And I was surprised, but then not surprised to hear that the fastest growing segment is migrants from China. 
I, I don't know if there's been any really? discussion about yeah. that. Yeah, it, it was used to be a, the tide of uh, migrants was coming from Central America, but now they're Chinese migrants. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about why so many Chinese are trying to get into America now. So from my perspective, I mean, nothing that I can necessarily talk about clearly. And I'm sure a lot of that information is classified, but I would, especially with everything that's going on in the Pacific, I know we see in the news about, you know, um, things ramping up in China and all our kind of near peer threats is what the military calls it. So I think the ramp up of immigration of, you know, Chinese people coming to America is because of all the conflict that's happening in that country right now. And you know, I think America is still seen as a place to escape to. And it's still seen as a paradise compared to you know, certain things that are going on in their particular countries. Um, I don't know, Rasha, have you seen in anything in your interviews or anything like that with the news, what your thoughts are on that? You know, I have to be completely transparent and say I'm still learning more about this um, because, as Sasha had mentioned, we normally see a lot of migrants coming from Central America. But I think one of the, the biggest things I've always realized in my studies or in research is that, yes, because of the conflicts within someone's home country um, and people not having that voice or, or feeling that they're really being suppressed in their own countries is a reason why they do look to go to other countries. And I think that's a great point you bring up, Joanne. Yes, we still, no matter with all the trials and tribulations we have in our own country, in the States, we are still looked upon as a country where there is opportunity, uh, where, where there are opportunities to grow and, and, you know, for families to flourish and for children to at least have an opportunity. And I think that's why people still aim to come here. I find it very interesting at the same point too, because I feel in the past few years, countries like China and India have also been thriving on the global scale. Um, they've been really recognized more as far as economical growth and just especially in tech, in the technology center, but medical, everything. So I'm curious to see how this is going to play out and if there is a resolve. Um, that really is at the end of the spectrum for all of us. One of the interesting things is uh, in covering stories as a news reporter is that if you apply for asylum in the United States, you must show to the U.S. immigration authorities that you are somehow a victim of uh, repression or uh, violence in your country. If you say, I am here for economic reasons, they're unlikely to give you an asylum uh, approval. It has to be more than economic. So I'm wondering, the Chinese migrants, a lot of them, I believe, are coming here for economic reasons because they can't really support their families in China. But some of them may be coming here because they feel persecuted because they're from a religious minority that's being persecuted. Perhaps they're Muslim. I don't know. So I'm wondering about it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as far as what the United States grants in terms of, oh, you're here because you can't make a living in China. or you're here because you're being persecuted. And you know, Sasha, I recently learned about this through a Bollywood movie, <laughs> which I didn't know about. That there were so many South Asian migrants that were coming in trucks and so many who lose their life. And it was more towards the UK than the US. Yeah. But I can imagine all that happening. So I think it's going to be interesting to, you know, investigate that on our show. And then even moving along so I think we have so many interesting guests lined up for this sure. season that come from diverse backgrounds. And in the past few seasons, too, just even recognizing the 
the array and the variety of people that we've been able to find from all different diasporas and all different backgrounds. I'm really excited to bring that to the show, you know, amongst the three of us and our other fourth, fourth host um, and present those stories to our audiences. What do you both think about that? No, absolutely. I think I would really love to hear more stories of the immigration stories of different personnel and being Filipino American myself. So from the Philippines, um, people, the biggest export of Philippines is people. So it's an actual term, OFW, overseas Filipino workers. You know, they oh, are, yes. there's more. Yeah. So it's an actual, it's an actual terminology that is used and it's a government um, terminology that's used, OFWs. And all throughout the countries of the world, there are Filipino workers in every sector, whether it's nannies, whether it's healthcare, home cleaning, all that stuff. And because they know that they make they can make more in any other country than they do in the Philippines. So I would love to hear more just raw, um, raw visceral f stories about these immigrants and uh, immigration stories, whether it's here in America or in other countries, because it is it is something that doesn't get highlighted very often. And so I am very excited to hear more of those authentic stories. You know, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it, it's kind of coming off of what uh, Joanne was saying about um, people from um, the Pacific Islands and, and that area of the world, I have been interested in how climate change is affecting um, some of the communities, the island communities that are being, they're seeing entire land masses disappear because of flooding and rising sea levels. And that's gonna force migration of some of those folks to other places. I'd love to talk to a climate scientist or a scientist and talk about what happens to people who are living in the Solomon Islands or places like that, where there is, they're definitely feeling more of the effects of rising sea levels. I don't know about you guys. I think that's a great point you bring up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I recently was in Costa Rica and that oh. was one of the things I was learning more about where even, you know, whether it's with the animal habitats or with, with the growth of crops and, and farming, everything has been impacted there. And they are trying to find different ways now of um, just even daily living because there's situations that they hadn't seen 10 years ago. And now they're trying to adapt to that. But I mean, going you know to the Asian Pacific again, yes, I, I, I'd i be curious to see how those islands and the people that are natives to those places, how they're navigating. Yes. To, so to all our listeners, if you know anybody that is, you know, familiar with the climate change and have that expertise, please bring them onto our show. We'd love to talk to them. And I'd love to ask both of you, especially because I'm on the entertainment side. You know, we've had some great seasons with some incredible artists. One of my favorites, of course, was Margaret Cho. How do you both as viewers and just in the jobs that you do, right? When you look at the media, how do you feel? Do you feel that we're still kind of checking boxes off when it comes to representation? Is it expanding more? What would what kind of stories would you like to see more that are being told out there? Because I know for me, I would love to see stories where it's not the typical South Asian again. There's a new show coming out, Expats, and um, they've really tackled on the Asian American community and exploring topics that we're not comfortable talking about. And I was really excited about that, but I'd love to just even gauge what kind of stories would you like to hear more about or see in, in the media when it comes to our Asian American communities? For me, I'd really love to see women in leadership positions, um, especially again, going back to being Filipino American, our stereotypical 
role is nurses and home care and nanny. And a lot of times, you know, even growing up, that's kind of what our elders and what our families have boxed us into are in those roles. So for me, it's extremely inspiring and extremely motivates me when I hear stories of um, Filipino Americans who have chosen to break that mold, whether it's to the disappointment of their families or what what that may be, but who have chosen to pursue their own paths that's not stereotypic of what their heritage and culture are and you know creating these new opportunities for everybody that's why i am extremely proud of the military you know for usually asian americans you know so in the military i we do barrier analysis for what keeps asian americans from serving in the military and a lot of things that we find is that um, your first generation Asian Americans or our parents or grandparents, they look down on military service. And mm. so I'd love to hear more stories about mm. you know, us breaking that mold. It's, that's why the percentage of Asian Americans in the military and government are so small, because there's so much influence from parents and grandparents of, you know, that's not a very, um, it's not a very proud position to be in or you know looking down in military service so those are the kind of stories i'd really love to hear more about is choosing to forge your own path regard despite you know what you were told and what you grew up with and you're doing that joanne so i love that <laughs> thank you <Yeah>. thank you <laughs> applause for you yeah forging a, a leadership path i think my own perspective is that i think we're actually doing pretty well with um, putting out entertainment or product that doesn't fall into a stereotypical, oh, an Asian American role. Like look at everything everywhere all at once. I mean, that was a crazy uh, fantasy. It didn't necessarily mean, I mean, it was meaningful that the, that the main character was an Asian woman, but yeah, why not have um, an, an older middle-aged woman like, uh, you know, gallivanting through the multiverse. Why not? <laughs> and then Beef, which has won all these um, oh, awards. Yes. And that's not a stereotypical, oh, that's an Asian American story. I mean, they happen to be Asian American and they live in Los Angeles, but that is a story that everyone can relate to and it's not particular to their ethnicity. So in that respect, I think that's really great. But to find stories that are particular to one person's experience would also be good. So I, I think there's room for all of it. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Yeah, Beef has been so exciting. I, I binged that series. Um, I, it was. I just loved the writing on it. I loved the writing on it. Yes, I watching Ali Wong win all these awards latest award season. Watching her acceptance speeches is extremely, extremely inspiring and motivating. So, Rasha, in your line of work, obviously with interviewing. And celebrities and entertainment industry. Have you seen a big shift from when you started to now on Asian American representation, especially with stories oh. that, like Sasha said, is just not your stereotypical Asian story? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I mean, even like when I when I think of the work that Sasha's done, right? She was one of the very few at, at that time and being the first. And so from the time that I've entered to now, yes, there's been a huge, huge, I would say, expansion, um, not only with the kind of stories, but I think the fact, too, where we're seeing Asian Americans participate in Hollywood. I, I think I feel and especially for myself, right, I my parents had wanted me to go into the medical profession. 
I even started off as a pharmacy major and I just was like, I can't do this. I'm a communications person. And I think what's been so nice to see is that people are embracing their interest and their talent. So a lot of times the business, the engineering, I know it sounds so repetitive, but that's the way our communities are, right? Success right. is measured by how well we do in those fields, especially and those fields are lucrative, the engineering, law, medical. And so I think what's been a huge shift is where people in our communities are recognizing, you know, I am an artist, I am creative, and I want to explore this because it's a part of me. So I think number one, that's been great. Number two, also what's been really great to see in Hollywood is that in order to create that shift, you have to have people in those positions, right? So like I'm on camera, but I'm kind of dependent on a producer or someone who's behind the scene who's going to give me that opportunity. So a lot of those positions are now opening up to people in the Asian American community. And I think that's really helpful too, because when you have people in those positions are able to kind of navigate that door. And so that's been fun. And then of course, with, you know, digital media um, and all of us having access to our own phones, we don't have to wait for someone to give us an opportunity. We can all get on and just record a story and put it up on YouTube or something and just create that momentum. So definitely to answer your question, Joanne, I think it has changed. It's been exciting. Um, and I hope that we can continue to grow and just really support each other more as a community as well. I think that's really important, banding together and helping uplift one another too. I think allies or being an ally is really important too, so that um, not only do we lift up our Asian American uh, you know, colleagues, but also give support to our Latino or our, our Black people um, who are working in the industries which we're interested in, whether it's the military or government or entertainment. And I think that collaboration is really necessary. I think that came together. I, I, well, I'm from the entertainment perspective, the strikes by SAG-AFTRA and the writers, I mean, who would have thought that these trade unions could stand up to some very powerful Hollywood interests, but they did, which was, to me, it was very impressive. Same. Yeah, same, that's such same. a good point because I see the, the underserved communities, underrepresented communities, sometimes you see a division amongst them and that, that kind of breaks my heart when you see that because you're right, we're stronger together. We don't have to be Asian Americans just banding together or black Americans just black banding together all underserved communities should be banding together. So I want to and, and supporting each other, supporting each other, supporting each other and giving the others an idea that no, it's not just this community, that community and that we are together. We're, we're, we form a greater community. One of the things that I'm interested in is, you know, two, three years ago during the pandemic, there was this rising tide of Asian hate. So now we're seeing this tide of hate against our Muslim and Jewish friends, right? So I think as yeah, Asian yeah. leaders, we need to say, we're supporting you too. We, we want to give, we want to be allies with you to fight the bias and discrimination that's coming your way right now. Absolutely. I think that is so key. And it's so pivotal for us to stand by one another um, and to let people know that you don't have to be from that particular community just to support or just to let them know that you are an ally. But again, having that voice to, you know, to let people know that we're, we're here, we're all in this together. And, you know, for me, I think one of the biggest things I've realized too, is that it comes down to humanity. 
I, I, re- I, I have to bring this up because I, I recently watched um, Ava DuVernay's film Origins mm-hmm. and it is excellent. And when I, when I left that film, I thought every, I, I want to really push this film because what was so great is there were three to four different narratives in that film, but the end meaning that came out of that was that we're all human beings at the end of the day, but because of the power struggle and ego, things are just misconstrued and, you know, taken out of context. And we forget that we are impacting other human beings. And it was just such a powerful film that it often reminds me to, in, in what we're doing, the three of us with storytelling or, or story creating, even Sasha, you're venturing into the, um, the acting industry and, you know, and are an actress and, and telling these other stories through this medium as well. Like we are here as one, we're human beings at the end of the day. And that, that comes first. So that was really interesting for me as well. It's really powerful. I definitely have to put that movie. Yes. I am so behind that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering, what do you think about this upcoming election season? We're going to hear a lot of rhetoric. I'm already hearing anti-immigrant rhetoric from um, who, the, the man who will probably be the Republican nominee. Um, he's talking about immigrants poisoning our blood. And as a, as a daughter of immigrants, I mean, those words hurt me to the core. It's concerning, Sasha. I think, especially for a lot of us, like you said, I'm also a daughter of immigrants and of parents who've worked so hard to be here. And it's scary in a way, because I don't know if this is going to create a bigger rift and divide. It's like we, we have spent so much time trying to bring and communities together and unify and, and, and fight, you know, this system. And then it's like, you move a step forward, but then it feels like it might be a step backward. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but it is very concerning to me, especially because I feel like we have come so far when we look at our parents and their generation or even the generations from before and how far we've moved in this country and what we've even contributed right to the U.S. from all the different communities that we come from. So it's um, it's disheartening in a way. And, and, I, and I'm really curious to see how that's going to unfold. What do you think, Joanne? It's definitely disheartening to hear that kind of anti-immigration rhetoric because, you know, I was born in the Philippines. We and my family immigrated here and I choose to serve in the military because to give Mm -hmm. back to a country that has given my family so much opportunity. So I always say that my why, my being Filipino American is who I am, but my why is my American patriotism. I do what I do because of my American patriotism. And then to say, and then to hear somebody say anti-immigrant immigration rhetoric, you know, that, that hurts inside when I am literally doing something for this country as an immigrant. So it is, it's very disheartening, very heartbreaking. So I'm, I, I am very much a news junkie tuning in constantly, especially with election year to see what's what's going to come for this nation, especially in my role in the military. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting for sure. How do we, Joanne and, and Rasha, how do we stand up to this? This hatred being directed to they like to dehumanize Oh, more migrants coming over into the United States and we need to close the borders. And Yes, I'm in favor of some more reasonable, rational immigration control, but uh, to actually close down the borders and no more immigrants, especially immigrants who don't look white, you know, I think that might be part of it. 
How do we stand up against that? I think that we have to band together and have a voice. And I will tell you this, um, Sasha and Joanne, one of the things that I was fortunate enough to do this year was actually cover different events with state legislators and individuals from Congress and from you know White House reps that are of Asian American descent. And it's been so interesting to see them come together and band together um, and speak up. So I think what would be neat is to find out how we can connect to those reps, you know, and let them know this is our concern. And then how do we further support those constituents? And then how do we as community come together um, just as individuals and bring together people to support them so that we actually do build a larger group to, to voice our thoughts? Because I think unless we're out there voicing what we feel, once again, we get lost. I remember... And I don't know how you two feel about this, but I, in several interviews with some of the people, you know, it was brought to my attention. And I feel this, too. We come from a community that often doesn't voice themselves or speak up. Right. We, that, yeah. that's the, we are very soft people. We come from these communities that necessarily aren't as aggressive. And I think this is the time where we have to speak up because we will get walked over. And I'm hopeful in that sense, because after seeing the number of individuals um, from the community that are in these positions, I, I think we have an opportunity there, but we're going to have to voice it. We're going to have to reach out and connect to the to these offices and let them know this is a concern. How do we get involved and how do we get more people involved? And really using our platforms that it's available to us, this podcast included, just using what is available to us, our resources to do exactly what Rasha says, getting involved and reaching out. I think the three of us are in very fortunate positions right now to be able to do that. So because it's not enough to just be, you know, anti something, anti, you know, anti-immigration rhetoric. You have to actively act on that as well. So what do you think, Sasha, as well? I'm going to throw the question back to you. Where, where do you see it? <laughs> well, I unfortunately, I don't think there's um, consensus. I think that oftentimes our communities do become divided because we don't feel similarly about certain things. Some groups feel they're better than other groups. <laughs> I don't know why that happens, but it happens. Um, yeah. I was disappointed. You use the word disappointed in, in regards to another I was disappointed when um, a politician of South Asian heritage said recently that she believes that the United States has never been a racist country. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I um, don't agree with that. Where have you been? <laughs> right. I mean, we can get into a whole debate. Okay. But like, <laughs> I'm just like, what? world were you living in you know there are some uh, where is this who, even yeah there are some from. people who refuse to see racism and call it out because it's threatening to them to do that and i i don't want to talk about whether she, that's her motivation but it's it was illuminating for me to say oh there's still some people in this country who don't believe or are, are trying to believe or trying to tell themselves that we are not a racist country and have never been and if you come from that yeah place, then of course, none of this makes sense, right? right. It's just words, you know, oh, you're just being woke. No, we're responding because we're responding to what we see as injustice and inequality. Oh, no, there's, we're not a racist yeah. country. It, it, it's hard to have a conversation then, right? Right. right. And right. even if somebody truly believes that, 
you know, that's not, that's, that's truly her experience. If she truly believes that she can't be closed off to the fact that other people may not have that same experience. Absolutely. So that's just mutual understanding and empathy for people. I mean, everything comes down to empathy for humankind, humanity, like Rasha was saying earlier, right? That's, that is just the core origin of everything that we need to be doing. I'm Absolutely. telling you, well, ladies, we are almost out of time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we could keep talking. Do you both have any last minute talks uh, or last minute thoughts is what I meant to say. And Sasha, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Right yeah, I was going to say, you know, uh, empathy, you know, Joanne was talking about empathy and compassion. I was like, if, if Mr. Rogers was running for president, I would vote for him. And I might end up having to write him in here. Mr. Rogers, we need more empathy. God bless Mr. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> we need that right now. <laughs> Uh, Joanne, any last uh, last second thoughts as we wrap up here? No, again, just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you guys, to be with you too, and learn from you. And I'm so, so excited to see what the season comes up with. And you know the guests that we talk about, the discussions and expanding on the discussions from today, from this episode. So very, very, very excited. Same here. And I'm so excited to be on this podcast along with the both of you. It's such an honor. I feel like we've got, we have such diverse backgrounds and stories and upbringings, and it's always exciting to see um, the different conversations that we're able to hold. So that being said, I want to thank all of our viewers and our listeners. Once again, I'm Rasha Goel. I'm Sasha Fruit. I'm Joanne Whitlock. And we thank you for listening to Asian Pacific Voices Radio. Now, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Twitter X, um, Instagram, and <laughs> YouTube to learn more about what we're doing. Follow us, our show. And even if you want to send some ideas our way or have any questions that you'd like to address, we are here for you. And don't forget, Asian Pacific Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers the Asian Pacific American communities with a voice through media arts. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit AsianPacificVoicesRadio.com. We hope you will support us. Thanks again for listening. Please join us next week for another exciting podcast episode, another exciting and thought-provoking episode of Asian Pacific Voices Radio. And uh, until then, take care, everyone. <laughs>